Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. Not only does Mauser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mauser.com slash empowering innovation. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Devendra Hardwar, Senior Editor at Engadget. I'm Reviews Editor Charlene Lowe. This week, we are going to be chatting about Facebook's oversight board decision, kind of the main decision we've been waiting for from this group, which is essentially Facebook's Supreme Court, or they, as they like to tell us, when it comes to Donald Trump's ban on Facebook platforms. And we'll be chatting about that with Carissa Bell. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and shoot us an email at podcast at Engadget.com with any notes. Uh, We'd love to hear from you guys. And before we get started on the show, I do want to mention... Hey, this is a little awkward. Uh, We were in the news this week. Verizon announced it's selling Verizon Media and all of its properties, which includes Engadget, TechCrunch, and uh, Autoblog, to Apollo Global Management for $5 billion. We're all going to be under a company called Yahoo. So all stuff happening in the future. So let me tell you guys up front, we don't really know much else about what's going on. We're hearing the deal may close in the second half of this year. There's really, I can't see any real regulatory reasons why the deal won't be approved by the by the government. So that's probably going to be our new home at the end of the year. And just from our chats with uh, you know folks internally, it seems like jobs are safe, we'll be fine for at least the next year or at least a year following the acquisition. So that's pretty much all we can say because we are still waiting to hear more about this. But uh, I've gotten some notes from people uh, who are worried about you know the state of affairs and gadget. I just want to tell everybody we're okay. We're all good for now. I will say that uh, mm-hmm. I actually don't know if jobs are supposedly safe for a year. I think until the deal closes, we won't really know. Until We won't know. know. We won't know fully. So for now, until yeah. close is a bit of a buffer period where we're like, okay, things are going to chug along for now. And then after that, if there are any big changes before the so-called year, um, we'll see. And then, you know, often I think also when companies do a big like this they don't want uh to be too obvious uh, you know within uh-huh. the first year of like letting people go and whatever so i think we'll still be like we'll have a little bit of a cushion i think yeah scary times as usual da- in the world of media <laughs> disclaimer that while we will have a new name uh we'll uh-huh. no longer be verizon media will be yahoo but tech and gadget is still in gadget uh and we will have a new big big parent company verizon still would own 10 percent of the yahoo the new yahoo whole thing at least then verizon will be yeah a minority stakeholder rather than us being verizon employees which uh won't affect anything really i'll I'll uh, say that like our disclaimers will probably still continue (laughs) that's That's all 
So this week, Facebook's oversight board finally announced a decision we've been waiting for a while, what they're going to be doing about Donald Trump and Facebook's ban on Trump. And the big news is that they decided to uphold the ban that Facebook originally instituted after the Capitol riots on January 6th, uh, based on Trump's behavior at the time. But it is all kind of confusing and to me kind of muddy in terms of like what this oversight board actually did. So to chat about this, we brought on Engadget senior editor, Carissa Bell, who has been reporting on all this stuff. Carissa, can you explain, um, you know, first of all, what is the oversight board? Why should we care about what they're deciding? And what is so unique about their decision here? I think what is unique is that it was in some ways like a lack of a decision. Uh Um, So the oversight board is this group that Facebook put together to, you know, people kind of compare it to like Facebook's Supreme Court. Um, It's somewhat independent from Facebook. Uh, It's a group of academics and free speech activists and, uh, you know, politicians I've seen. Yes. There's a former Mm -hmm. uh, prime minister in there. um, People who have experience in expertise in human rights and, you know, free speech issues. And, they basically kind of act as, you know, I guess, you know, Facebook's court when there's uh, a content decision that's, you know, kind of borderline or controversial, people can send it to them. Um, They'll sort of look at all sides of it and come down with a decision. And then Facebook has to kind of do what they say. Um, Mm -hmm. So with Trump, the, the interesting thing is, is that they're supposed to decide, you know, whether or not uh, his suspension would be permanent, you know, if they would let him back on Facebook. Um, but instead, they kicked it back to Facebook and they said, you know, we're not going to decide this for you. We think you were right to suspend him in the first place. Um, but it's up to you guys if you want to, you know, uh, let him back on the platform at some point or uh, keep him banned forever. That is kind of wild. And they basically gave Facebook a six month deadline to kind of figure this out. Um, what. Let's just like so. What they did is they actually approved the ban, right? They approved of what Facebook did and why they did it. And if you read, if you go to oversightboard.com, you two can read their decision making and kind of everything that went into it. Um, but they they say like, yes, uh, certainly it made sense to ban him at the time. Specifically, what they seem to have a problem with is the indefinite ban. So, which is a sort of like loosey goosey way Facebook framed it at the times, like. Uh, Trump would be banned until at least until after Biden, you know, is a, a officially inaugurated. And there was always that language in there. So they kind of had a they had a deadline to, like, keep him banned to a certain point. And then after that, like, there was no real reason to ban him. Is the oversight board just asking for, like, specificity here? Like, hey, just make a clear decision for the love of God. Yeah, I mean, I think what they're what they're taking issue with is that they basically said Facebook kind of made up its own rules in this case. You know, if you look at Facebook's community standards, there is no scenario where they, you know, give you an indefinite ban. And so they said, you know, you're right to do this, but you can't just make up a rule um, when it suits you at any moment. And this is something that, you know, they say that Facebook, you know, does a lot. And so they said, you know, we want you to actually, you know, explain your rules, explain your rules for politicians, explain your rules for influential users, explain to us, you know, a lot of these kind of controversial policies, you know, that we've seen for the past several years when it comes to Trump. Um, and they said, and then decide. Uh, but, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that they also, by doing this, there's a very not insignificant chance that at some point, whatever they decide, that the Trump thing comes back to the oversight board again. So 
you know, we sure, kind of are yeah. stuck on this loop. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know what? Hey, that reminds me of the actual Supreme Court, which can often shoot a case back to a lower court or like just to say, like, we're not going to deal with this. You guys decide like that is not an unusual thing. So it almost, it almost seems like a really smart use of their power on uh, their end for the oversight board, because a lot of the criticism for this thing, right, is like when Mark Zuckerberg announced the oversight board, was it last year or a couple of years ago? Um, everybody was saying like, Facebook, you got to do more about these major, you know, there's a lot of like major decisions in terms of banning people or blocking posts or things like that. And it could Facebook as a company just never was really set up to do that. Zuckerberg didn't believe he should be the lone person to do that or Facebook should be the company to do that. So given that this company is so huge now has over 2 billion users, right? Um, it made sense to set up this external body made up of people. It's vaguely independent. It is funded by Facebook. So technically these people are being paid by Facebook, but they're being paid through like this third party. Um, it is a whole like group of confusing things all happening all at once. Is this uh, like Sherlin? What do you think mm -hmm. about this in terms of like showing Facebook's effectiveness? Was it actually smart for the oversight board to be like, no, we're not going to like blanket make these hard rules for you. We're going to agree with this and say you got to actually think hard about your own platform for once. Is that a better thing or yeah? I think what you're saying about the confusion is actually very true because when Carissa said that, um, you know, what what they came down on and, and what they're asking Facebook for, which is like a set of guidelines before the fact instead of after the fact and making up stuff as you go. I think that's that's good that they demand that Facebook do that. But my right. understanding of this oversight board was that it was and this might be my own lack of like understanding on the matter, but I thought it was going to be more of an advisory council for things mm -hmm. to like for them to be consulted on before Facebook went ahead and did anything. Oh, no, they have a lot more power than that. Yeah. Which is good, which I like that they mm -hmm. have more power. It sounds like mm -hmm. a Supreme Court is a better, like, um, uh, approach here, right? As opposed to just a toothless advisory council. But I, it does sound like it's more for after-the-fact stuff right now. And mm -hmm. that feels, like, less effective. It's more like Facebook can go ahead and do whatever it wants and then it'll just deal with the punishment after, like, don't mm -hmm. ask permission instead say sorry why do i say sorry weird anyway um <laughs> you're not canadian you don't say sorry i know i don't know why which is a whole other thing. that way <laughs> um but, but yeah so I, I carissa i don't know if that's like you know you agree with what i'm saying because i think it would be more effective if this oversight board had more you know power before things happened rather than after yeah i mean you're totally right and a lot of people you know, have a similar point of view on the oversight board is that, you know, one of the main criticisms, you know, besides, you know, there's people who say, well, you know, they're just set up to kind of help Facebook kind of um, avoid the hard decisions, right? They can just pass it off to right. this other group and kind of blame them if people don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but the other thing is, is that, you know, these people who are really critical of the board and Facebook, they say, you know, this group has no ability to actually influence you know, kind of the most uh, troubling aspects of Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about um, its algorithms, whether or not it recommends extremism, how it handles political advertising, um, you know, these, you know, very uh, important and, you know, significant issues that, you know, the board can, like, recommend policies yeah. and, you know, critique policies all at once. But at the end of the day, like, Facebook doesn't have to do what it says. So in that way, you know, its power is mm -hmm. much more limited. Um, you know, is this sort of like the symbol of oversight rather than actual oversight? That that almost seems like where it is. 
Um, there, there's a good article that's worth reading. It's called Inside the Making of Facebook Supreme Court at the New Yorker by Kate Klonick, uh, produced like this February. So this was one of the pieces where this is the only like in-depth thing. Um, she, I believe she was one of the few reporters to follow them from the beginning. And just the initial like meetings for the people on these boards just sounds like, Sounds like the worst like seminar, like just trying to get a lot of difficult people all together. And a lot of people who didn't believe this board could work were invited and just kind of like weren't playing along with what Facebook wanted. And I'm not saying they should. I'm saying like there was a lot of pushback internally, too. So I'm really interested in like how the final board kind of shaped up because there are people all over the world. It's not just like a Western world focused thing. There are people from India and Africa and all over the place. So on a on a like symbolic level, I kind of wish a group like this could survive um, or actually be useful. But uh, Carissa, like, do you think this whole thing is it just a way to like avoid true government oversight, which I think is the real thing Facebook and other companies are worried about? Yeah, I mean, well, if you listen to to Facebook, what they'll say is, you know, we we welcome government oversight and we would mm-hmm. we would love you know new regulations that can kind of spell these things out for us, but that doesn't exist right now, you know, that there is no, the government is not doing that. So in the meantime, you know, the oversight board is the best thing that we have. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people who who disagree with uh, many aspects of that, um, you know, but I think you're, you know, you're right. It's, it's very, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a while before we really kind of know whether or not this process is working, because it's, it's going to come down to not just these specific content decisions. It's not going to come down just to Trump. It's going to be these kind of like bigger policy recommendations, you know, the things that Facebook doesn't have to do, you know, how, how seriously it takes that, um, you know, that advice and how, you know, whether or not it actually makes substantial changes, whether it actually mm-hmm, does kind mm-hmm. of increase the the transparency that it, the board is, you know, has been calling for. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be a, lo- a while still before we actually kind of engage whether or not that it's being effective on that front yeah and the board has made other decisions so far right like you could see all of this on oversightboard.com um there were decisions around posts uh, i believe like there was in brazil there was at least one post where somebody had their had their post taken down because it showed the picture of a breast right and the board decided like hey no actually the context of this is this is this was supposed to be an announcement about uh breastfeeding or was it breast cancer, breast or breast cancer. Fe- it was something like breast cancer and it was supposed to be like yeah informative so therefore this band is not worthy you know this Mm -hmm. shouldn't this shouldn't have been uh blocked um so those sorts of things like seems like it makes sense but yeah yeah, the the breast example is actually a good Mm -hmm. is actually a really good example where facebook did make a concrete policy change uh in response to the board was you know uh they came back and they said actually it was on instagram they said instagram's you know policies around nudity and stuff like just aren't very clear. We obviously know that like people have been fighting about whether or not, you know, you can show nipples on Instagram for years. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Facebook came back and said, you know, actually we're going to make an allowance for health related nudity. So if you're doing something that's raising awareness about a health condition or something educational, um, then we will create, you know, this kind of carve out in our rules for that instance. So that was one example where they actually did make a concrete policy change and, you know, um, probably something that, you know, people were, uh, a lot of people were kind of uh, happy with at least. I think, I mean, we mentioned, Facebook, again, has over 2 billion users. It is more powerful than any any single country, right? It has more influence in the world than any single country. So it does seem like, yeah, I suppose they kind of do need a, a Supreme Court in this way. They're acting like a nation state. 
I don't like based on your covering, yeah, what you've covered so far, Chris, do you think this proves like was Zuckerberg right to create this thing in the first place? Is this a step towards making safer a better environment? Because even he realized his own limits here, or is he just kind of like really working hard to avoid actual government regulation? Well, I think it's a few of those things, you know, I think as much as Facebook says that they, they want new regulations, you know, I think they want very specific types of regulation. Um, so I think in that sense that anything that kind of helps them avoid the kinds of laws that they don't like, or that wouldn't be beneficial to them, I think that's, uh, something that's helpful for them. I think the board definitely helps let them show, you know, helps gives them a way to show that like, you know, we are being responsible. We're trying to, uh, Mm -hmm. regulate ourselves. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think that a lot of these content moderation issues that have come up, like are extremely important to, to Facebook and are very significant. And, you know, we know that there's just not that many, like I said, Facebook is more than 2 billion people. It kind of acts like a government. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's very few, entities that kind of can actually like exert any kind of influence or push Facebook. So even though it might not be to the extent that a lot of people want, I think it's probably better than nothing at this point. Um, You know, even people who don't like the board or don't like Facebook have a lot of respect for the people on it. You know, these are very like serious, Mm -hmm. um, prestigious people. So I think for now, it's kind of the, the best thing that we have in a lot of ways. Yeah, and this whole like this whole discussion, by the way, is about like getting can Donald Trump get back to Facebook and get back to Instagram, right? Because uh, yeah, the, those those last few messages directly supported the Capitol rioters. Um, Donald Trump launched his own platform <laughs> this week, <laughs> so maybe he doesn't need Facebook or social media at all. There's a website called from from the desk of Donald J. Trump. Um, it is a GeoCity site. It's a Tumblr, you know, it's like a place for him to just like post his, uh, his little thoughts and videos and photos and things like that. But it is, it's a bad website. That's what it comes down to. So yeah, maybe we don't, maybe he doesn't need Facebook. This is all he needs. I I, I do have a question. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe is again, my lack of knowledge on this, but what was Twitter's take on Trump? I know that it felt more permanent, right? That was like a permanent ban and they had no issues. They it's a forever ban. Yeah, it's an a actual ban yeah. and not an indefinite ban, which is was Facebook's thing. Yeah, the wording is clearer on Twitter's yes. end, and their decision—they're yeah. sticking to it. They don't need to second guess themselves. It seems like they're—they they're, had a clear set of policy or guidelines in place, and there was a clear violation, and therefore the decision was easier to make. So it seems like it's—it's it's more worthwhile for Facebook to to have clear things, clear guidelines in place. Um, yeah, but I. I, I think you had a funny take, by the way, Devendra, when we were talking mm-hmm. about uh, uh, Donald Trump's Tumblr. You said it was the Trumpler. <laughs> Trumbler. Just Trumbler. Trumbler. It's cleaner That's that hilarious. way. Oh, R. man. R.I.P. Tumblr. Um, so what we do know right now is that uh, Nick Clegg at Facebook will be leading the final decision on Trump. He's a former policy guy, and he's like led a lot of major decisions there. So, yeah, it's back to... It's back to Facebook. Eventually, we're just kind of waiting again, right? Right, Chris. Yeah. And who is Nick Clegg? If you if you've done any reporting on him, uh, so Nick Clegg, he was the uh, he's former deputy prime minister uh, of uh, in the UK, and mm-hmm. now he's basically uh, Facebook's top policy official. Uh, he was brought on to kind of lead their 
you know, communications policy, you know, these kinds of things that have really been uh, troubling for Facebook uh, in the Trump era. And, um, you know, he, it's that article that you, you have up right now, you know, there's a lot of good reporting in that about, you know, kind of his background. He's apparently very mm-hmm. close to Mark Zuckerberg. This is the New York Times article, British political veteran steers Facebook's Trump decision. So go check that out, folks. So he's kind of, um, he's also the one who he, you know, he steered a lot of, uh, you know, the creation of this oversight board. He was very involved in like, uh, it's, it's set up, you know, one of the, also in that story, it points out that one of the the co-chairs of the board, uh, the former Danish uh, prime minister, that uh, they were actually like longtime friends. He was the one who kind of mm-hmm. got her on board to be part of this. Uh, so, yeah, so he's and it's not surprising, right? Like we, he he was the one who's kind of been steering the responses to the oversight board. He was the one who his name was on the blog post uh, that when Facebook first responded to. Uh, to this recommendation. Uh, and so he is going to be the one that is kind of leading Facebook's uh, thinking on this and the response to the board's recommendations. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people who are who are critical of Facebook, who don't like the oversight board, are definitely not uh, going to be happy about that. Um, you know, Nick Clegg doesn't have a lot of fans outside of Facebook necessarily. So it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of how how that plays out. Is there anything based on either his history or how he's been, you know, talking about things in the past? Do you have a sense of like where he could ultimately lie on this? Is he more towards keeping Facebook open or is he more towards like, yeah, we got to make some actual final decisions here, ban him permanently? I mean, I hate to make predictions, but, you know, if you think about it, like he's he's a former very high profile politician. Um, I think that if I had to guess, I think he would be more inclined to, you know, uh, not have a permanent ban on Facebook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we know already that Facebook didn't want to make a permanent ban if they did, like they would have done it in the first place if they were like inclined to do that. So I, I don't think that they have more reason to do that now than they did on January 6th necessarily. So, you know, if I had to make a guess, I think that they would find a way to, you know, justify bringing him back at some point, maybe with some caveats, maybe with some, you know, we're really serious this time. If you break our rules, then, you know, maybe. Oh, yeah. You, you naughty, know. naughty guy. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't incite another riot. Yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> you'll Strongly have to get worded. <laughs> what do we, Warning. what do we, what do we think will happen if that happens? Like, what is Trump, like, is Trump going to do some kind of triumphant return? Is he going to start inciting people again? Like, what do you feel is going to happen? Well, I mean, with Trump, you never know. There's a lot of uh, talk right now, speculation that he wants to run for president again. Obviously, we know that, like, Facebook was, you know, very instrumental in his previous campaigns. Uh, A lot of his success was because his campaign was very good at using Facebook's platform. So we know that Mm -hmm. Facebook will, you know, is would be, again, like, hugely important to uh, whatever he decides to do. Uh, In terms of, like, how he actually behaves. Like, I don't think there'd be any change. I think he, he kind of- look, look at that site now, right now, by the way, like it is just like him yelling at people. <laughs> yeah. uh, the top post right now, the first sentence is Liz Cheney is a warmongering fool who has no business in the Republican party leadership, which is the whole thing because she has been somebody who hasn't fully supported him. And now the Republicans are kind of uh, teaming up against her. Clearly he hasn't calmed down, right? No, no, it all, it's <laughs> funny. That site looks a lot like Twitter too. Yeah, it's like a really janky I, uh, Twitter. Janky Twitter, yeah. bad Tumblr is why I, yeah. it reminds me of like I 
we all had GeoCity sites in the 90s. If you were around yes. during the 90s, you young kids. Um, but yeah, if you had a GeoCity site, I had a you know anime fan site in the 90s. <laughs> this looks a lot like that, okay? And uh, if you can find it, uh, extra credit to you, audience. Oh um, needs more glitter, yeah. though. Needs more glitter, needs and more marquee, like marquee construction text. signs under construction, needs more blinking yeah. text, yeah. needs Animated more juice. flashing banners. Yeah, yes. yeah. Chris Abel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, I mean, find me on Engadget, obviously, and on Twitter at Carissa B.E. Let's move on to some other news. Not, not a really great week for Peloton. Unfortunately, they oh, yeah. had both a major recall um, of their it's a voluntary recall of their fancy new treadmill after um, over 70 people have been injured uh, by it by getting pulled under, which includes pets and kids. Uh, there are 29 injuries to kids and at least one death that we know of so far tied to this thing. Um, seems bad. Seems seems pretty bad for Peloton, a company that's been known for the past few years for making, you know, pricey, high quality, premium, smart fitness gadgets. This is um, probably the worst thing we've seen from them when it comes to overall reliability and safety, which Mm -hmm. is important if you're an exercise company, right? I was thinking, I was talking about Mm -hmm. this with uh, Valentina Palladino, our commerce editor, who is very, you know, familiar with the fitness, Mm -hmm. home fitness tech uh, space. And she was explaining to me kind of what was happening. This this is really Peloton at first was like in the early days where like some of these reports were coming out. Peloton was still resisting, uh, mm-hmm, you know, the mm-hmm. recall and saying that. And I don't know that this explicitly said this, but the idea was that you should keep the treadmill away from pets and kids and leave your safety <laughs> key in the treadmill so that it doesn't just turn right. on without warning or, or, you know, when a kid nudges it or something. And what was happening for those, you know, little little animals slash little human beings can get in that little space between the base of the treadmill and the floor. There's a little bit of clearance there. And they can get dragged in if they're playing around that area and the machine turns on. So that's what is has happened in a few cases. So Peloton's idea seemed to be that you should not be some apparently some people were putting these in the playrooms where yeah. <laughs> kids would don't be. Don't you have a dedicated don't room? Don't you have for a separate room? Peloton? Exactly. If you have a Peloton, don't you have a separate mm. room for it? It's kind of no. uh, the question, but that's obviously not the right answer. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see the company finally recalling the Tread and Tread Plus and also it's saying that it won't be selling these in the US anymore. Um, mm-hmm. No idea, honestly, though, with a global, uh, what is happening elsewhere in the world, whether it's going to recall these or not. We shall see. Mm-hmm. It's a voluntary recall. It's not like saying, yeah. hey, get, get all these things off the streets or anything. So it, they're still leaving it up to consumers. You right. could either get a full refund or um, they're saying you could uh, hang on to it and Peloton will help you move it because they're really known for being um, very customer oriented right Hands like on, they right. they have a lot of yeah they have set up like they can give you set up when you're buying machine and stuff too so they will help people move it to a different room if they can but i think this is just really coming down to the fact that a lot of people don't have a lot of space yeah sometimes you get to share a playroom with your exercise machines uh, that's the reality that we're living in especially if you live in a city this thing is also giant you know treadmills are big but this thing is huge and much bigger than even the Peloton bike. So I, c- I could see a lot of awkwardness here in terms of how people are placing it and where they're putting it. 
Uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Like, are you were you tempted to get the Peloton treadmill I- versus <laughs> the bike? Y'all, listen. <laughs> The box that I live in is my bedroom, my living room, my playroom, my fitness room. The Peloton, if I got it, it would turn my space into like an un- just an unlivable dedication. It would. To it would take exercise. up like at least half of your apartment. From what yeah, I, I would see. just have dinner on the treadmill. That's all I'd be like. I just put food oh. like a like a pretend uh-huh. like conveyor belt, like a you know like how in Asia That's we healthy. have like sushi restaurants <laughs> that have like. Little dishes of sushi come out on conveyor belts. Uh-huh. I could turn the Peloton into that. <laughs> Fun ways to repurpose your repurpose your uh, Peloton tread. If Fun you ways. Also, in other Peloton news, um, there was a security flaw that allowed attackers to grab sensitive user data, which is also a problem because Peloton has so much of your data. That is the whole point of Peloton. It is a smart fitness device company, so they have a lot of your health history. They have. Also, probably payment information and other things, too, because it's all kind of tied into your Peloton account. So uh, not not great. Not great. And it also took them a while to acknowledge the fact that there was a security hole, too, right? Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like I understand the, the, the reason companies are a little afraid to be upfront and transparent when stuff like that happens. But, you know, we've talked about on the show before why it's important when there's been some kind of uh, hack Right, that mm-hmm. you should let users know as soon as possible, so they can go ahead and protect their information while there's still time. For sure, it was um, Jan Masters. Jan Masters at Pentest Partners said he discovered the Peloton security flaw and told the company on January 20th, but uh, they didn't didn't talk to him. Like they mm-hmm. didn't respond to him until 90 days later when he started talking to media sites. So, you know, not great. I feel like a lot of these, this happens to a lot of companies too. Like if somebody's telling you, hey, your your stuff is screwed up, here's something you should probably fix. You should probably acknowledge that and get ahead of it. And yeah, Peloton seems to be riding high on its reputation as sort of like the premier fancy smart fitness gadget. And uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't buy into that myself. Like I, I just recently bought an exercise machine, but it was a... Um, it was a what do you what do you call it? One of the the walker thingies. Oh, um, uh, elliptical. It's an elliptical, yeah. Um, but it's a a nicer elliptical than the cheap one I used to have in my apartment because <laughs> I also got a cheap one when I was in New York. But it's not super smart. And it doesn't require a permanent subscription like Peloton products. So there are a lot of options out there. There are a lot of other like bikes, like spin bikes that you can buy now too, and other ways to put screens in front of it. So look at your options because there's more out there in the world than Peloton. And stay tuned to Gadget for more coverage on all of that. Just as common. Yeah. What is going on with Android tablets? Because <laughs> uh, I I saw you put some news down here and I found it hilarious. So this week, as is the case with every week, there has been a bunch of news from Google Land. And uh, let's talk about the one that I, I covered and, and was <laughs> briefed on directly. This is Google launched a feature called Entertainment Space for Android tablets. And if you're wondering, what is an Android tablet? It's like an <laughs> iPad that runs Google software. Anyway, Android tablets, right, we, we've, we've made fun of them a little bit over the years because they have been in decline. But apparently, according to data that Google uh, cited and found, um, apparently there's been an, a 30% uptick in people <laughs> using their Android tablets in the pandemic. So, hey... If you're still stuck at home and bored to pieces Mm -hmm. and you're like, 
I wonder what I can do with this Android tablet. Or, you know, you have an Android tablet and you like it. There are people out there that like their Android tablets. So I'm not going to keep hating on you. Um, there's a new feature called Entertainment Space. It's basically this portal for all of the uh, entertainment-related content on your tablet. So we're not just talking movies, right? We're talking about um, there's three tabs in Entertainment Space. Watch, games, and read. So gaming and you know books are the other two so in addition to like the watch panel is very similar to the google tv interface it basically features a spotlight carousel at the top where google will recommend mm -hmm. you things that it thinks are timely um and then it'll pull in suggestions from the apps that you have installed on your android tablet so hulu showtime whatever you might have on there as well as things that you won't traditionally find on, say, a TV platform, something that doesn't have a TV app but has an Android app sure, and that sure, sure. Google classifies it as a watchable app. So something like Twitch um, could also be I just have to ask you, though, Sherlyn, what, what year is it? 2020-nothing. 2021. And when was the first Android tablet? <laughs> Dude, don't even. It was like 2012. Right 20. <laughs> 11 this whole I, I was cackling when i saw this news because it's like it was like somebody at google being like oh crap we have tablets we too to we should <laughs> we should do something about this we should give people a way to consume all their content in one screen this is basically the thing amazon did with the fire tablets in a way like they just slapped a better interface on android you know basic android hardware and android tablet stuff and made cheap tablets i'm not surprised people are using these things more now because yeah. you can get some of them really cheap um I am surprised that Google is is fine. It took Google so long to do anything when it comes to like a combined entertainment pla like place to find right. all your good stuff on Android. This is the so, thing we've been complaining about for so long. Yeah. So so here's okay. So here's where entertainment space. I mean, here's a few caveats too, right? But <laughs> let me finish explaining where uh -huh, you can find. Uh -huh. So entertainment space on supported tablets will be on the left of the home screen. So kind of where usually you would find a Discover feed or whatever else your you know tablet maker puts on there so you swipe right on the home screen to see entertainment space and then like like i said before you have uh games and play a uh, read as well so you can get book recommendations from uh play store or kindle etc in there now the cave caveat that i was referring to mm -hmm. entertainment space is coming to new tablets from walmart lenovo and sharp later this year uh, so just these three brands of Android tablets for now, and they will be, you know, if you already own an Android tablet from one of these three brands, you'll get an over the air update to get entertainment space later this year. Sure uh, Google, yeah. I, I yeah. Know, Google also <laughs> said that it still has like other brands uh, of tablet makers in the works that it might be able to announce eventually. But uh, for now, it's just these three. And so like... Mm -hmm. It's if you if you think it's a useful feature, also make sure you have the right brand of tablets. I don't know. This is, just... this is the exact problem with Android tablets. This is it. This is everything. Because like when you buy an iPad, you know at least okay, it may not be the fastest iPad or something. You can still run most of the apps, right? You can still yeah. get the basic iPad experience. Android tablets have been so fragmented for so long, and Google has never pushed very hard to get good tablet apps made. And now, finally, Google itself has decided to, you know, give people an all-in-one entertainment spot. It's just hilarious to me. It's, and also, like, yeah. the best ones are Samsung tablets, right? And Samsung has its own interface. Mm -hmm. And there's probably going to be a big fight before Samsung even adopts some of this. And I think they have already some sort of unified experience, right, to find media. So 
Yeah, uh, just kind of a mess. Yeah, the, the thing with Samsung is that like their a lot of their so-called unified experiences often also get labeled as bloatware by people who hate yeah. it. So we don't yeah. know about this one yet. Um, speaking of bloat, uh, the option whether or not you can disable entertainment space if you don't want it is going to vary depending on your brand of Android tablet. So don't blame Google for that one. I will say that what you're talking about as a fragmentation is very in line with Google's typical methods, right? Which is to mm-hmm. build like a very open base software for everyone else to kind of customize and like yes there's we have our problems with that but that's also not surprising i guess is what i'm trying to say it's like this is kind of what they've been doing for a while now you know what was surprising why why would you buy an android tablet now when the base ipad is like 329 and often goes on sale for 250 dollars. i bought one for my baby it was $230, which is cheaper than the vast majority of Android tablets I've seen so far. So, yeah. Eh, I mean, there's plenty of Android tablets there's, that are cheaper other than, than that. the Fire yeah. ones. Yeah. There's the Fire ones, like Lenovo makes cheaper ones. TCL also makes cheaper ones. Like there's there's plenty of cheaper mm-hmm. options. I think you're I think the people looking for an Android tablet are those who want a tablet, don't want Apple software or don't want mm-hmm. Apple. Um, but anyway, I was surprised by some other Google news this week. Uh, the mm-hmm. company hilariously tweeted out its own uh, announcement for the Pixel Buds A, the highly rumored, hotly rumored uh, Pixel Buds A series. Listen, on they're, the they're Google. Android they don't Twitter know how account. Twitter works, right? Right, they don't but know how to post. and then they deleted the tweet like almost immediately after. <laughs> but of course, this is the internet, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody screenshotted the shit out of that. So I do, I do wonder, do you, do you think that was an accident, Sherlyn? Because I've, if I were Google and I had these gadgets that <laughs> aren't super like important, like not a huge deal, but if I could get a small portion of my audience hyped for it and they think they found a secret, you know, and then they do most of the spreading and promotion of it. Yeah. It seems like that's a good plan, too. So I'll say I do think it's an accident because right after like our I mean, our typical move is to like verify the facts and check with Google. Hey, what's up? Right. Before we just willy nilly report on things as if they were fact. So it could have just been an accident. And that's why you kind of want to make sure you ask the source. And usually in this in this sort of situation, when someone has a major leak on something that Google has been keeping secret for a while, Google's recent tactics have been to fess up and be like, yeah, I hear you like leaks. Here is a picture of the Pixel exactly. 4's camera, for example, yeah. right? But then this yeah. time around, it did not. It kind of went, no comment. <laughs> and like, it just, I mean, that's not the official word. I just basically, I mean, we, we basically, they declined to comment on anything. And uh, it seems, and, and the fact that they deleted the tweet so quickly after, it tells me that not only was this a definite accident, but they're also not fully ready to announce it. Like something... Mm in their marketing material is not ready yet or something like that. You know what I mean? So what are, what are these supposed to be? What's, what is the point of the pixel bud a series? Yeah. So these are highly rumored to be the, I, I, I don't want to like miss, miss report here. I, my understanding is that these are like the affordable series, of the pixel buds, but they also have new technology, like fast pairing, um, to make them just easier to set up overall with a uh, Google phones. So, I mean, I like the Pixel Buds. I use them. They sit in my ear really nicely when I am, like, Mm -hmm. being incredibly active. By that, I'm trying to say I'm a runner without saying I'm a runner. Um, Mm. But, yeah, the the A designation, the the A in the name, 
the ways Google has used A in its product names in no. the past has been more affordable. affordable. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> we're kind of waiting to see what that means, but that's everyone's guess is that these are probably going to be cheaper than the Pixel Buds, which that's is good. Cool. You know yeah. what? We should do like a refresh chat about wireless earbuds soon uh, because mm-hmm. these things, man, are they cheap now? Like I'm seeing a whole bunch under 50 bucks. I'm seeing some like around 30 bucks and yeah. they're not going to be the best sounding things, but yeah. it's just the fact that we're able to have this tech so cheaply and so disposably kind of worries me too, because we just lose these things and the minerals just leach back into the environment. But Hey, Hey, things are getting cheaper and more accessible. That's good at least. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. that wasn't the end of the Google news. There's one more, uh, just a slightly interesting uh, piece of Google-related information, which is Apple has hired a former Google AI ethicist, uh, and I don't want to butcher their name, uh, <laughs> but it's not it's a it's an it's not a, the person who was fired for uh, mm-hmm. some of the who was who was whose tweets about how she uh, they were being fired from Google. Uh, it's not that person, um, but it is someone else. From Google's ethics or AI ethics team, and Apple has taken them in, so that's interesting. Sammy Benjeo, it looks like, or yeah. Benjeo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, yeah. I'm trying not to butcher names. So, but yes, S A M Y B E N G I O. But here you go. We'll see if yep. Apple has better, uh, has a better approach towards AI ethics. We, and, AI. and we talked a bit about this when it happened. Like Google started leaking or started losing ethicist because it yes. fired uh what was it timnet uh, yep uh and yeah. it fired her and a bunch of coworkers and things like that and there was a lot of online consternation about how google has been treating these ethicists uh because they dared to write a report that said hey maybe um maybe the way we're doing these natural language models is wrong and uh, potentially dangerous um google does not want to hear that so i am interested in seeing like where these people end up and if they will make AI, I don't know if they will actually uh, influence ethical AI at other companies like Apple. I'm thinking Microsoft is a big one too uh, in terms of what everyone's working on. So I guess we'll see. But man, the continuing saga of Google's uh, AI ethics department or group is just sad because they are screwing it up on every level, it seems. Let's move on to some news from Twitter. How about that? How about that? How about no longer will we have the uh, click for a surprise meme on Twitter? Because they, they, as of yesterday, the Android and iOS apps now have uh, support for taller images. So your Twitter feed, uh, at least mine last night, was taken over by much taller, much taller (laughs) images of people testing like, hey, is this thing working? Um, I kind of kind of funny. Uh, some of my favorite ones included one of like the actress Elizabeth Debicki, who is known for just being tall. She tall. <laughs> um, so like people are like can can this fit Elizabeth Debicki? <laughs> yes, it can. Yes, it can. And nice. other other images like that. So it, it's weird to me a little because it, some images now take up a lot of the Twitter timeline. I'm not sure if you're liking the aesthetic, Sherlyn. Mm-hmm. I, I I still haven't seen this on mine, but I will say I tweeted a screenshot recently of my Google Discover feed making a terrible, terrible mistake, and uh, it mm-hmm. cropped half of the picture, so you only saw the very out of context screenshot. So I, yeah. I I can't wait for the tall screenshots to come to my phone. I think I would be into the aesthetic. Make them tall. It look. I mean, it, I think for the longest time Twitter was just trying to make every post like fit the same block, you know, fit the same size and. 
I'm fine with things being changed up, but man, certainly people were going a little crazy on this, and now <laughs> I'm considering turning off loading images automatically just based on some of the things I've seen so far. So, you know, that, that that's a thing. So big change aesthetically for Twitter, but what else is going on there, Trillin? So we were talking just about uh, AI and, and some, some of that stuff. Twitter, uh, it's other upcoming new feature is sound it seems like is it will start showing prompts when it detects mm-hmm. that the tweet you've composed has it contains offensive <laughs> language so if you're saying you know how like when you look at replies to your tweet and maybe not everyone has had like yeah. this experience but when you look at replies to your tweet it automatically hides the ones containing what it believes to be offensive language um and so i believe it's using the similar uh, algorithm here to identify these anyway when it can tell that you're being a little salty but like crossing the line with your salt or their saltiness, uh, Twitter will show a prompt that will ask you, hey, do you want to review this before tweeting? It will say, uh-huh. uh, we're asking people to review replies with potentially harmful or offensive language. And then you can choose to send it anyway, edit it or delete it. So one more step before angry people... Mm-hmm. Ha- are able to send their angry tweets. Do, which, you, do you think this would make a difference? Would this make a difference for you if you were angrily sending something I'm, to somebody? I am already <laughs> in my head. Do you have you looked at my drafts folder? Everybody needs to look at my drafts. I mean, folder. I don't. I can't look yeah. at your drafts folder. But exactly, and nobody should. Is what I'm saying. In seeing no. like what mess that is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big hot mess of me being. Share your drafts salty. folders challenge, everybody. <laughs> Release the drafts folder cut. Um, yeah. But but anyway, I, I, I am that sort of person that's already very like self-censoring. But do I think that this will be helpful for people who are not? I think mm-hmm. it'll make them more angry. Uh, but it might give some people pause. It might give people like who are on the fence or like need a little bit of like reminder that, hey, be a human. I don't know. I feel like this prompt mm-hmm. maybe should show a picture of cute kittens or like cute babies <laughs> as well. Just to like call No, like down. a sad puppy, a sad oh, yeah. kitten. Like you're, you're making puppy sad. Don't, don't make use the kitten that, cry. Oh my gosh, use that prompt space for free uh, SBCA ads. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> come on. Do something oh, good. I, the, you bet there are going to be ads on these things soon. Oh, yeah. um, we started we started seeing prompts like this uh, when it came to like retweets, right? Like Twitter started started telling oh, yeah. people, "Hey, you're retweeting this article. We didn't see you click through the link. Did you actually read it? Do you actually yeah, exactly. mean to do this, or are you just spreading misinformation?" Which I I don't think is generally a great thing, but maybe maybe it stopped a little misinformation. So I'm fine with that. This just seems um, I don't know. It's it, I guess on a certain level, it'll it may help people to check themselves a little. I don't think this is like a fix all to Twitter's problems when it comes to you know uh, user abuse and things like that. Oh yeah, and also uh, yeah yeah. How about it, just just ban the Nazis? Like the thing people yeah. have been asking for is like ban get rid of the users who are actually actively making Twitter a toxic place. I think they've been really slow to do that, and certainly when it comes to like Nazis and white supremacists on the platform. It took forever before Twitter really started taking them seriously. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the things Twitter users would actually like. But these changes always come down to, like, uh, Twitter saying, hey, hey, f- you know, hey, fam, we, we got this new thing for you. Please check it out. But it always seems like something from people who don't actually use Twitter, you know, like the people who don't actively see the problems on the platform. So this feels like another one of those out-of-touch things. So I guess we'll see. 
We'll see how it goes. I don't know if you have further thoughts, Roland. Yeah, two things real quick. One, uh-huh. uh, the accuracy or the effectiveness of this feature too also depends on the accuracy of its mm-hmm. algorithms, right? Like I, I'm like sometimes I'm curious, so I click to see in a, like mm-hmm. offensive replies to some yeah. of my tweets oh, yeah. or whatever, or to other people. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like not all of them are bad. Some of them like accidentally <laughs> used like the word or like. One of them mm-hmm. had nothing to do with anything offensive whatsoever. Yeah. So it, sometimes yeah. it really is off. So Twitter also needs to work on its algorithms here. Um, and B, the other thing is, where's my edit button, bruh? Come on. Where's, where's your, this does seem like it could be something that could be part of an edit button eventually. Mm-hmm. But I do think mm-hmm. the edit button would eventually work with something like uh, the way Gmail's undo button works, uh, mm-hmm. send undo which mm. essentially just doesn't send your e- your email for 30 Calls seconds right, while right. you think about it. Um, I do think that yeah. sort of active delay and maybe sort of even like turn this into like an MMO or an RPG th- type thing where you have a cool down, you know, like uh, <laughs> yes. if, uh, if you've tweeted too much or people are like, oh, no, nobody likes this tweet. Um, it starts like actively working against your ability to no. you know, tweet often. What if I'm live tweeting mm. a show? You shouldn't no. because they're all bad. They're always bad. Wow. Too many people live tweeting. Excuse me, things my live tweets are time. hot and popular and yeah. incredibly valuable. I don't know what you're talking about. This is people the downside of for- it. Um, yeah. <laughs> As an aside, one thing that really annoys me too is I'm seeing more and more people live tweeting movies and TV what? shows that they're watching <sighs> for the first time, and I'm like, <sighs> um, yeah, it's, it's like no wonder you're not party. really getting into this thing. It's not. It's no wonder you're not really getting into Citizen Kane because you're tweeting every five minutes. But let's talk about something a little more fun. How about that when it comes to pop culture? Are you excited for Disney's better new lightsaber? How about <laughs> what that? What the hell? Well, tell me, tell me what it looks like. Does it look like the real thing is all I care about? I mean, do you think it uh, will it actually be able to hack off limbs and it's powered I by want plasma it to. lasers? I want, um, I want to use one no, to carve a turkey. No, Sherlyn. It, it's not so a real sad. lightsaber. That's what are you talking about? That's the only one I care about. What are you talking about? But <laughs> this is a semi-realistic looking, you know, toy lightsaber <laughs> with oh. a retractable <gasps> blade. Yes. Which seems cool. And not like those like little kids toys where it has like the segment things that, you know, kind of <laughs> oh, stick I remember out. Those. Yeah. This looks like a self-rising um, kind of it looks like it rises like an actual lightsaber. Um, Patent suggests it is a it is using a motor with a blade made of LED illuminated plastic. So thank you again, LEDs. Disney put out a brief teaser. This thing um, it we're going to learn more about this lightsaber. When the Star Wars Gal- Galactic Star Cruiser Luxury Hotel opens at Walt Disney World in 2022, so it's so it's I all go marketing. to a, a hotel to see this or buy this. You gotta go to a hotel. You gotta like pay for the expensive hotel to pay a ton of money for this thing, most likely because that is how the Disney scam works. Uh, but I have I have a lot of Star Wars nerds friends. I have a lot of Disney nerd friends. You know the people who go to the parks like when things were safe. Like people were going to the parks like once a week. My friends around L.A. and California, they will get to Disneyland like as often as they can. They have those premium memberships um, yeah, where you could just kind of run in. Um, right now, you could buy the really cool looking lightsabers at Disney's Galaxy's Edge. Uh, that's like the Star Wars you know, part of the park. Those things cost $200 right now. I can only imagine what a retractable semi-realistic oh lightsaber is going to cost. That thing is going to cost you a PS5. You know, that thing's going to cost you at least 500 bucks or so um, for for a toy, just for a toy. So, yep, yep, that is right. that, that is where we're at. You know, Shulin, yeah. 
Speaking of wild things that cost a lot of uh-huh. money, <laughs> this week, something I didn't think would happen, uh, Carol Baskin of Tiger King fame, the woman who we all believe killed her husband. Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. We, we believe. Kill, we believe, ele- potentially, The way the maybe. Netflix docu-series presents it seems very strongly we, like we she did We cannot say anybody killed anybody, Sherlyn. We, we just had our... I'm, no, I'm not saying. I'm just saying that I believe. I'm not saying that like I definitely yeah, know that she that. did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it. This is based on what Netflix's series put out there. The but lawyers anyway, are coming right to you. Yeah. <laughs> if I state it as fact, then I had to say allegedly. But I'm stating my opinion. Hmm. Anyway, Carol Baskin, the woman who allegedly is believed to have <laughs> murdered her husband and fed him to cats. Um. Anyway, this mm. week launched a cat-themed crypto coin that her fans, a.k.a. all you cool cats and kittens, can use to buy her merch, from what I can tell. Um, this is, okay. This is so right. strange. On why, May- why this and not an NFT of just, like, the dumb stuff from her, oh, you I know? I don't know. I hope. Yeah. Because, because with NFT, she can only sell one of each. I think. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> um, she tweeted on May 4th about the um, new crypto coin called Dollar Sign Cat, which, uh-huh. you know, okay. Well, well, so is it Cat Coin? What is it called? Crypto Cat? Uh, I believe it's Big just Cat Coin called, is the, uh, the thing. Big Cat I don't Coin know. is what's on the logo. It, yeah, yeah. It, the sign looks like scat because it's a dollar sign. <laughs> it does look like scat. <laughs> You gotta look at what your messaging uh, looks like, people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But you will have to listen to what she says. She said, I'm investigating crypto in the statement. She said, I'm investigating cryptocurrencies because I am concerned about the volume of US dollars that are being printed and distributed with nothing to back them up. Our new yeah, dollar that, cat that's coin. The concern. Yeah. It's <laughs> our new dollar cat coin is not a currency for investment, but rather is a currency of our fans to show their love for the cats. Oh, but Big Cat Rescue, which is the uh, cat rescue that she runs, says it's also launching NFTs in two weeks. And the future plans include a big cat metaverse for virtual visits with the cats. I don't know. Let's move on. How how are the Doge? How's Dogecoin doing? How about that? On the other hand, Dogecoins, I... You know what? I don't even with Dogecoin. I tr- trust me. I try to stay out of cryptocurrency as much as possible because it's I know infuriating. Yeah, it is. It is infuriating, <laughs> and you've mentioned this a few times. But the drain on our environment with the with mm-hmm. the mining process is insane. But you know, apparently Dogecoin hit like an all time high in its price recently. Of I'm 60, not super up to speed, cents. but Devendra, what do you know? Yeah. Sixty I mean, cents. Yeah. 60 cents, which is, I believe, what is it, a 10,000% return either from the beginning of the year or from last year. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, it's a lot because if yeah. I, when you were looking at Dogecoin like last year, early this year, mm-hmm. it was in fractions of a percent, basically, like, or fractions mm-hmm. of, of a cent, cent yeah. which yeah. is why people are like, oh, this is a fun, cheap thing. I'll put some money in here. And all of a sudden, your money is worth a lot more. I'm sure also we, we haven't really talked about this, but uh, Elon Musk is going to be <laughs> Hosting oh, Saturday SNL? Night Live. Oh boy! Soon, um, we we everybody thinks like, and he has been a big Dogecoin like pusher for a while. So like, everyone's thinking like, oh man, he's just doing this to like push Doge more. Is is Lauren Michaels a Dogecoin holder? Like, mm. or is everybody gonna be rich because of this? I don't know. 
Um, but it's kind of wild. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and to put it in context, the number of people that own Dogecoin is probably super high because of why Dogecoin's market cap is now more than $70 billion. It is the fourth most valued coin according to... Yahoo Finance's data partner, CoinMarketCap. <laughs> Yahoo Finance. So I hate this so much. It's one okay. of our family publications, I guess. Yes. <laughs> sure. To be clear. I but hate all the go. coins. I and know. I've, coins. So I've seen a couple of people. I don't know if you've like tried to experiment with this for Lynn, but I've seen a couple of people try, like, try to get a couple shares just to be like, hey, I wonder if I put five bucks into this thing, what will happen? Yeah. To me, it still feels like, hey, you're putting money into a process that actively is destroying our planet right. for the dumbest reasons, right? For for memes or to create a currency uh, just, just for shits and giggles. It seems like that's what the big cat coin seems like it's about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not, not a fan. Uh, let us know your thoughts about the rise of cryptocurrencies, people. Like, I'm interested in knowing what the, uh, the normal person that's not surrounded by this stuff all the time thinks about this stuff. Can we move on to some quick celebrity goss news that we celebrity never really... Celebrity in our world. Celebrity <laughs> goss also news. also in the real world. It kind of yes. it hit me. Um, so news news broke this week that Bill and Melinda Gates are are splitting up. And normally we don't talk about this kind of thing uh, because, yeah, it's private. You know, it's private lives, whatever. Do, do whatever you need to do. I will say I've always loved their partnership just because it seemed like... You know, Melinda Gates was um, kind of the driving force behind the Gates Foundation, which is one of the world's biggest um, donators. Like, um, yeah, it it is a huge funder to a lot of different um, purposes and things like they've been pushing vaccines and medical resources and things like that all over the world. There are certainly criticisms, and I think uh, especially the criticisms around what Bill Gates thought about vaccine IP, which is the fact that. He doesn't believe that um, basically the new COVID vaccines, that those patents or the, the, you know, the recipes and the ways to make them, that he doesn't believe they should be shared around the world because they all cost billions of dollars from these companies, right? There was funding that went into them, so they shouldn't be free, um, which is a statement that the Trump administration, not the Trump administration, that's a statement that the Biden administration directly opposed this week when they said uh, they support it opening up all vaccine IPs because it turns out the world is still on fire. Uh, Things are horrific in India, which is the place where they're making a lot of the vaccines we're using around the world. Um, Maybe we should let these things be open. Um, So a lot is happening right now on on the Bill Gates side of things. Um, Sad news about his relationship, you know, like they've been doing a lot. I'm really wondering what this means for the nonprofit world and certainly Mm -hmm. um, for for the foundation because it's a... was it? It's like five billion dollars in annual grants that thing has. Mm-hmm. Like it is all of the world it has sixteen hundred staff members. It puts money in one hundred thirty five countries. I hope it doesn't mean like any of that stuff slows down just because of this relationship. And I hope like you know Melinda Gates still gets to be in charge a lot of a lot of the stuff too. Same. I mean, I think this is sad news. The dissolution of any relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there were some good tweets that you know were were entertaining. <laughs> there are some but good I, tweets. I'm not going to repeat them here because I think, to your point, I, I, A, want to, you know, be respectful of what's happening to the two of them as individuals. But also, I think the more important thing here is the nonprofit work that they've been doing and that we hope Mm -hmm. they're able to continue that regardless of, you know, their relationship status. Yeah, maybe we should just start a goth section because there was also the the further reporting of what happened with the, uh, was it the Jeff Bezos, uh, the whole thing. Jeff and Bezos, uh, yeah, uh, McKenzie, McKenzie Bezos, like, yeah. 
Yeah, there was either it was Bloomberg or Business Week. There was a post about uh, kind of what was going on in the background when Jeff Bezos basically announced to the world that he was actually having an affair and being, you know, being exploited um, by by the uh, the gossip rags. So that's a whole thing. Go look for that. Because that's uh, if you if you want to see the real gossip in the world, that that reading that thing is wild. If, yeah. If we have like a celebrity <laughs> tech celebrity vertical whatsoever, we need uh-huh. a corner where I ask you, Devendra, how do you pronounce mm-hmm. Elon Musk's kid's name? Don't don't even because no. I don't know. I really don't know how to do it. Doge baby. So. Okay, let's move on to what we've been working on. Um, did you know, Sherlyn, that Sony is 75 years old as of this week? No. Happy birthday, Sony. Happy Hi. birthday. Apparently, Sony doesn't want to celebrate because I've been trying to talk to Sony about this. And they're like, oh. no, we're, we're not going not gonna to have a birthday they're tr- party. They're afraid you'll ask them about the PS5. <laughs> or or a lot of stuff. So we are going to be having some pieces at Engadget, uh, I believe this Friday, um, which is going to be Sony's, uh, that's their 75th anniversary. So we're going to be looking back at this company that has dominated consumer electronics for so long. I'm working on a piece about like where Sony will go next. And since they're not talking, I'm going to have to like fish around and talk to analysts and things like that. But it is kind of wild. You know, Sony's a company that used to dominate everything. And then mm-hmm. Apple came around and basically like stole their lunch with the iPod and everything afterwards. Like yeah. it is now an Apple led world and not a Sony led world. But I think Sony still has a lot of cachet as a premium electronics maker. So we'll be diving into all that. Uh, look out for our reporting over at Engadget. I'll also be testing some secret new hardware that I think uh, you all will find really fun. How about that? That's all, that's all I can say. Oh, okay. I, mm-hmm. I think I know what you're talking about. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's something I could bring to many rooms in my house. That's all I'm going to say so far. Sherlyn, what are you working on? Uh, I have been testing <laughs> Samsung's latest, which is uh, the Galaxy Book Pro 360. And for those of you who are watching the YouTube live stream right now, I'm actually holding it up to the camera. This is the big boy. This is a 15-inch Galaxy Book Pro 360. Very, very thin and light. Um, so far, pretty powerful. So, yeah, that review is going to come up soon. But in the meantime, I can already, I guess, answer a few questions about them. If you have them, you can send them our way via email or join us on the live stream Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern thereabouts on the Engadget YouTube channel. But I'm mostly doing this, and then I'm finally, I think, I mean, I'm taking some days off <laughs> this week and next just to get, a, a, like, a longish weekend in. But then finally. After, I know, and but then I had to, I was going to take a full week, but I had to cut it short because of the review and because of, like, briefings for upcoming yep. events that you all know about. So May is going to be a very busy month, and we did not fully expect that, but hey, here we go. Um, I will be taking like Fridays and one or two days like on and off when I can because yeah. uh, things be crazy. Things be crazy, sure y'all. Uh, anything else you're working on, Sherlyn? Trying to relax, y'all. <laughs> Let's move on to our pop culture pick, Sherlyn. What is, what is helping you relax <laughs> in pop culture? First of all, I need to confess that I am in a love-hate-slash-borderline abusive relationship <laughs> Ooh. with cooking dash this game oh i play it so much i i love i love a lot of it but i hate it so much because the glitches are annoying as hell and mm-hmm. like they'll deduct gold for no reason anyway and you're still playing 
I, I is decided. Dash? Is it a mobile game? Is it a Switch game? What's yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooking Dash is this uh, mobile game, <laughs> and it's uh, basically the part of the whole Dash series. So there's Diner Dash, Cooking Dash, Kitchen Dash. Right, Kitchen Dash right. was Gordon Ramsay. Cooking Dash is the one where you run a bunch of restaurants or something. Anyway, it's just, it's just a simple <laughs> time killer game. But that's not my recommendation. I'm just that's what I've been doing to relax. Except I uh-huh. get so angry. Anyway, I ha- in an effort to get away from that, uh, what I really do to s- relax slash actually more like get inspired is I watch a lot of um, K-pop dance videos. Okay. <laughs> on YouTube, um, you can you don't have to like I, I'm sure you can like find good videos just by searching for the words mm-hmm. K-pop dance videos. But I, I'm specifically watching things like Blackpink's uh, dance practice videos. Um, not the MTVs because the MTVs often have like you know cutscenes to other things. I just want to watch the mm-hmm. full dance. A because like not that I I mean I try to learn them, but like I'm never gonna be ever at that level. Um, <laughs> but the dances are just so incredible. It's like this the dedication they have to their craft is really great, and you know every move is like clean and snatched, and like the moves themselves are not difficult it's just the mm-hmm. way it's choreographed the way the four or the band members move around makes it look really visually interesting and you can veg out to good music and watch people be incredibly cool. slender and <laughs> lithe and agile <laughs> in their 20s which basically be pop stars uh do they awesome. i mean my only question for you Shulman, is how do they match up to the guy on tiktok who just does the sick michael jackson dances in the middle of the street have you seen that i have guy? not seen any of okay. tiktok no so i will have to watch it Where, have what send me a link i do of all the things sherlyn <laughs> is refusing the tiktoks come on it's where all the young the people are come TikTok i know with us. i know but i just <laughs> but want to be this, a k-pop star there's this guy, and I'm sure they're also all over TikTok too. Um, but there's this guy who just like I think has perfected the moonwalk and pretty much every Dang. Michael Jackson movement. And uh, right. he will pull up to red light and just get out and do a full dance for 30 seconds while the red light is Dang. going, then hop back in the car. It's pretty it cool. Sounds dangerous. It looks like he is. It's kind of dangerous, um, but it's just also like talk about confidence. Like I yeah. don't know, this yeah. guy just out there doing Michael Jackson moves in 2021. I kind of respect that. So for me, I mean, it's I and I'm sure this attests to it, right? Like it's very relaxing and calming actually somehow to watch people be baller as dancers. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I also wanted to tie it in a little bit to AAPI month, where you know it's May. It's a month where we recognize Asian American and uh, Pacific Islander heritage, and uh, watching K-pop videos is part of that. Um, sure. But also, I I. I through the YouTube algorithms and the YouTube hole, I started watching this show called Youth With You. I'm not going to like dwell too long on it because there's some controversy going on right now with season three. But basically, it's a reality TV competition um, series where uh, about 109 girls and each se- or guys, depending on the season, um, compete to be one of nine members in the new Asian pop band. And it okay. stars like uh, I, I like the the slogan yeah. at the top of the image we're seeing here is we'll get there no matter yeah. how far get where what yeah I don't even yeah huh but the mentors in this the two women there's there's two women and two men the two women are people I know so Blackpink's Lisa an incredible dancer mm-hmm. like one of the world's best if you look up her dance videos they're amazing she's the dance mentor on this and then Ella. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the other woman, she's the voice mentor, the singing mentor, and she's actually from a really famous girl band from my youth, SHE, um, which stood for <laughs> Selena, Hebe, and Ella, the names of the three girls. This was great. They came up with names for themselves based on that, I think. Anyway, I Ella is like a... Yeah. yeah, I can't believe you're not watching Carol and Tuesday on Netflix yet because this is all the stuff you would Ooh, kind maybe of love I shall. too. Yeah, um, but that was—I mean—it was fun to see people like try to be a star because I want to try to learn <laughs> things. Anyway, last last thing I will shout out for AAPI Month: I started watching with my friends through a recommendation from our friend Alex Kranz, who has been on this show before. Yay. Warrior on HBO Max. Warrior is very good. Yeah. It is pretty freaking great. And uh, mm-hmm. usually Alex Kranz's recommendations are hot, wet trash. Al- so. <laughs> Alex and I talk about action stuff all the time. So how dare she you? She talks to me about because... Asian shows all the time. And she's always yeah. picking the worst ones. But this one was good. <laughs> uh, it's on HBO yeah. Max. It's uh, got some really good fight scenes. Very interesting story. Now, don't, if you understand Cantonese like I do, just don't, just don't even, just suspend your frustration because it's not uh-huh. all good. <laughs> but everything else is pretty okay. That's usually that's usually how it goes, all right. Yes. I remember like when uh, Crouching Tiger came out, there was a lot of uh, a lot of complaining about uh, was it Chaoyun Fats and Michelle Yeoh's uh, accents. accents because yeah. they they didn't quite speak the dialect. So hey, whatever. More mm. representation is good. Warrior is a lot of fun. It's on HBO mm. Max now, so everybody can check it out. It used to only be on Cinemax, yeah. so it was one of those like shows of like. I could only talk to certain people about because nobody had Cinemax back in the day. So, oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And it's, you're enjoying it, Sherlyn. I've only seen the first couple episodes so far. It's definitely like an HBO show, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, winking at the camera <laughs> or trying to um, wink. Yeah, <laughs> it's. <laughs> I can't wink. This is an engadget <laughs> uh, open secret. But uh, uh, yeah, it's that sort of show where you can't watch it with kids. But you know. It's definitely enjoyable. So I actually made it back to the theaters for the first time in over a year. And I've just been so happy about it. So last week marked my two weeks after my second COVID shot. So fully immune, but, you know, nothing's perfect. So I'm still being really careful and safe. But I went to go see Scott Pilgrim versus the world in theaters in Dolby Atmos and uh, loved it. Love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of the 2010s. Um, the original time I saw this thing, like at Comic-Con, it was like, uh, when, whenever this movie came out, it was like 2012. But that was such a like great experience and just such as like being surrounded by geeks after the movie ended at Comic-Con, like the curtain came up and Metric played like a full set. Like it was so, it was such a great experience. So being able to like relive that uh, as my return to cinema and it's also a fantastic movie was was just such a joy. So if you are vaccinated and you feel safe and you can make it to like a, a very sparse screening, I went to a matinee um, and sat in the front row far away from the handful of people that were there. I would say go check it out. This movie is perfect. I love this movie so much. And it reminds me why like Edgar Wright is also one of my favorite directors working today. It just has everything. So check it out. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And if you've never seen it before and can't make it to theaters, Stream it, rent it, whatever, buy it. It's fantastic. Also want to shout out the Mitchells versus the Machines, mm. which is a new animated movie on Netflix this week, which is about a very weird and quirky family that has to survive the robot apocalypse together. And just have to say, I, I really love this movie. Uh, we also reviewed it like in depth over at the Slash Film cast. Uh, so you can go check out my full thoughts there. 
But uh, this is like a follow. This is Sony Animation's like big follow up to Into the Spider Verse. So it has like similar animation and similar cell cell shading. I just really love the style of it. It is a movie that's bursting with personality. It's about a kid who just feels out of step with her family and the world and is weird and unique and likes to make movies. And she's excited to go to college where she can be around other you know weird creative people. Uh, but her family doesn't get her, and turns out the robots are about to, you know, take over the world because a tech billionaire released this new product that made his old product sad, basically, oh. and uh, made all the made all the robots and tech hardware like turn against them. I think for the Engadget audience, you'll probably get a lot of out of uh, out of this movie. Certainly, there's a lot to suspend your your you know suspend your disbelief here because. It's not like <laughs> it's definitely not like tech accurate. And even when it comes to robot apocalypses, I do feel like uh, Terminator did the idea of something that I've always been afraid of, of just like our connected AI becoming too smart and taking over everything. Whereas this one, it's not not as smart. And I don't think like all the imagery kind of gels together, but so much fun. Love the characters, love the music. Uh, it is worth checking out the Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix. And that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter. And uh, I podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. If you want to send me videos of people being excellent at dancing, which is a skill I unfortunately don't have, you can send them to me on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcastandengadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Once again, we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation.